Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJuria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's Mike Janis, the retiring pro mod racer, and Kevin McKenna from National Dragster. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. We're talking pro mod racing and insider news. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 thousandths at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Brian Loan's back with a new edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Got the fresh new open on the front of the show as well as we're really getting geared up for the 2021 Camping World Drag Racing Series set to kick off in a scant couple of weeks down in Gainesville, Florida. The Baby Gator is going to be happening the week before the Amelie Oil Gator Nationals. I'll be down there for both races. We'll be calling the Baby Gators with Alan Reinhardt and then working with, uh, of course, Tony Pedregon and our entire broadcast team on the NHRA Gator Nationals show, as well as doing some PA work, I believe, on Friday and Saturday as well. So cannot wait to get things started officially of our Camping World Series and the world of drag racing has certainly come to life over the last several weeks. Big races happening already in several parts of the country. Big races will be happening leading up to the Baby Gators and eventually the Gator Nationals in March. There was a announcement made last week by the NHRA that the uh, NHRA Southern Nationals have moved dates. It will be obviously still held at Atlanta Dragway, but the event has been moved from the end of March into the end of April, be contested the last weekend in April into early May. So um, NHRA officials making those decisions and making those moves uh, kind of on the, um, I guess, rulings or on the let's call it regulations of the local area regarding what they can have as far as seating capacities and things like go like that at various racetracks. And, you know, as the nature of the business uh, in 2020 and now 2021, uh, I think any thinking person can understand that there will be some shuffling and some moving around as we continue through the schedule. But uh, at least nationally, anyway, the data and the news seem to be moving in the right direction in terms of how people's health is doing on the whole. And of course, uh, how live events are being treated on the whole. Various states have started to reopen live events. State of New York allowing fans now at indoor sporting events. Uh, so if you're a, you know, a Knicks fan or a Rangers fan, you can go watch hockey and you can go watch basketball indoors. And let's hope that that is a harbinger of things to come around the country. And especially when it comes to outdoor style events like those Emily Oil Gator Nationals and the rest of the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series. On this show, I'm excited to have two great guests, Mike Janis, who we're going to talk about Mike Janis's career. We're going to talk about how his career as a driver, anyway, came to a, 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 I don't know, a quick and kind of surprising abrupt halt on the uh, advice of medical people. He took that advice and uh, moved ahead. He and his son, Mikey, opened up the floodgates. They opened up the application process to bring a new driver in. That driver, J.R. Gray, who we had on the show a few weeks ago, got his perspective on entering the pro mod world. And we're going to get Mike Janice's perspective on transitioning from a driver on a week-to-week basis to someone overseeing his team and working hand-in-hand with his son, Mikey, to tune that race car, which is a championship-level machine and a contender each and every year in the E3 Spark Plugs Pro Modified Series. Kevin McKenna is going to be on. We're going to talk about a multitude of subjects with Kevin sportsman drag racing on the lucas oil drag racing series side we're going to talk about pro stock motorcycle a class that kevin is uh, a specialist in if you will for nhra's national dragster magazine and really talk about some of the other huge news of the day i think uh obviously i'm not really i'm kind of burying the lead here we're only four minutes into the show but john force racing has announced its official return to action starting at the gator nationals this was something that was a bit of an open secret let's say in the world of drag racing we're all just waiting for that team to make an official announcement and that announcement has been made they will be fielding three cars at the gator nationals and through the 2021 season unless something drastic changes for the positive you will be seeing robert Hyde and john force and nitro funny car you'll be seeing britney force racing in top fuel you will see Austin Prock as a member of the team. Prock will be working uh, on the crew side of things where he came from before getting in the driver's seat. So Austin will be effectively just one step away from being in the seat of a race car. And I believe they are actively working to try to get him funded for as many races as is possible. Of course, this changes the dynamic in the Nitro Funny Car category in a positive way. We saw the domination, complete and utter domination of Don Schumacher racing over the course of the 2020 season in Nitro Funny Car. And now that John Forrest Racing is back in. 
it is officially Athens versus Sparta again in that category. And I'm not sure which side you want to call which, but let's call DSR Athens. And the uh, Athenians certainly dominated the Nitro Funny Car season in 2020. And we'll see if John Force Racing can come out of the gate swinging in 2021. What we know is that the crew chief triumvirate that that team has has stayed intact. David Grubnick remains on Brittany's car. Uh, we will have Jimmy Prock still on the car of Robert Height. We will have Dan Hood leading the charge on the car of John Force and the talented group that they continue to work with there at John Force Racing. There is hiring going on there, of course, as you'd expect. They're restocking the um, restocking the war chest, so to speak, in terms of uh, wrenching talent, and that means that the uh, phones are ringing and the stories are buzzing around the greater Brownsburg, Indiana area, where Kevin McKenna also calls home. So we'll talk a little bit about that, what the feeling is, generally speaking, around town, and how things are shaking up for the, or shaping up for the Amley Oil Gator Nationals. You know, we look around drag racing and uh, we try to highlight positive stories here. I don't think we avoid talking about subjects on this show. We've always talked about stuff that's been going on, whether it's with me or Tony Pedragon or whoever else we've had on. We, we tend to give you the straight scoop here. Uh, but it is tough not to have a bit of a positive outlook as we get ready for these Gator Nationals. I mean, the, the work that's been done by single car teams to uh, enhance their programs, the moves that have been made on the crew chief side, even funding side, the moves we've seen made from some of the more established teams like Vance and Hines. We had the Mission Food story with Angel Sampe on last week. Uh, the great pickup for them. Great to have her sponsored for the 2021 campaign. And there's a lot of people still burning the midnight oil working on those sponsorship contracts. Terry McMillan's one of them. And uh, Terry McMillan, one of the hardest working guys in the sport, bar none, end of story, even before a pandemic has kicked it into absolute and utter you know plaid gear out there trying to find funding for the 2021 season he had his entire team employed for the vast majority of this offseason held on to them as he was working very hard on sponsor deals he's had to make some tough decisions over the last few weeks but he is down and definitely not out so terry mcmillan currently working on funding and we uh, certainly got our fingers crossed for Terry that he's able to put a deal together that gets him Rob Wendland and his entire racing operation back out on the racetrack there are great single car stories that are going to be coming out we're going to see some independent racers that we haven't seen we see names like Artie Allen entered into the Gator Nationals we're going to see a lot of those independents over the course of our 2021 Camping World season and they certainly make great stories in and unto themselves for those of you that follow the world of NASCAR stock car racing, Daytona Speed Weeks were uh, a wild affair, kind of top to bottom. Some familiar names from our world um, had some impactful uh, impactful performances over the course of Speed Weeks. We, of course, saw the, the Gray family, Taylor and Tanner, were both out on the racetrack. Taylor almost pulled off a win at New Smyrna Speedway, a wild three-wide finish at that short track. And we saw Tanner Gray driving not only in the ARCA series, but also driving his uh, truck as well. So uh, it's kind of fun to keep tabs on those guys and certainly fun to watch uh, what really is the opening kind of salvo of racing in America. The Daytona 500 certainly has a lot of significance um, for racing across the United States, and it really is, uh, in so many ways, opening day for race cars in the country. Yes, there's been some drag races going on, but when it comes to a massive event, the Daytona 500 certainly dominates the headlines uh, as well it should. Great legacy race and uh, the, the, the most famous stock car race in the world, bar none, end of story. The most fun part of that whole equation is that it was broadcast on the Fox Broadcast Network, where the Gator Nationals will be televised as well. For those of you that watched the coverage, you might have seen Tony Stewart, who was in the booth for the entirety of the Xfinity race, uh, working side-by-side -side with Clint Boyer. They made a great broadcast team, and who knows? Maybe we'll be able to rope uh, smoke into the booth with us for uh, a round of qualifying or even round of eliminations when we get down to those Emily Oil Gator Nationals. It would be fun, and he is versed in the world of drag racing now, having been really kind of deep into it uh, as he has been involved with Leah Pruitt now for about a year, and he was effectively at every race last season has been uh, learning, poking around. Of course, we know he's gotten his license in an alcohol dragster down at Frank Holly School in Bradenton, Florida. So a lot of exciting stuff happening around the world of drag racing and certainly a lot of great stories to follow as the season continues to spin up, as we would say, to full speed. So now that we've got a little bit of background here, got a little monologue out of the way, let's get to our first guest. He is a multi-time Pro Modified World Champion across multiple sanctioning bodies. He has won a pile of races. He continues to be an innovator in the world of making horsepower in the supercharger business. His name is Mike Janis. Mike, how you doing? 
I'm great, Brian. How you doing? Doing really well, man. And uh, you know, it's been a been a crazy, I don't know, month or two worth of news coming out of your guys' camp up there, and it, it all seems to have a pretty happy ending. So, I guess I want to first talk to you about. You know, you go to the doctors, you get a checkup, and they say, "Well, congratulations on having a successful driving career." I mean, that must have hit you pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, I wasn't uh, expecting that. You know, I knew I had the stents put in and uh, thought everything was good, and then they uh, they hit you with the you know the blood thinners. It's just uh, physically, I'm great. It's just the blood thinners. It's uh, not a great idea to be driving with them in you. You know, especially when so. we put you guys in these cars when it's about a hundred degrees outside and you got a, and you got a snowsuit on in the summer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. So I'm okay with it. You know, it's a little bit to get used to, but uh, it'll be all right. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you know your career as a driver and as a tuner and engine builder, all of it really spans like the whole history of this class. So when you look back over twenty plus years in these cars, I guess close to thirty years in these cars, are you amazed kind of where you started to where you're stepping away from the seat? How much has changed? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we originally started with the nitrous car back in the nineties, and uh, you know we did all right with it. You know, just barely qualified and then as soon as we went to the blower deal back in 2000 is when uh you know we really started running good and making headway with the blowers you know you know 100 percent on working on blowers back in like 2001 so, uh, yeah, and talk a little bit about that transition because you know over the years we've seen we've seen guys make that move and not necessarily always successfully. So, is the the idea of making that change back then would it be harder to make that same change now, or is the technology better? Obviously, from guys like you and Mike Janus Superchargers, is it easier to make that switch now than it was back then? I think it's much easier nowadays because the the combination, you know, chassis, you know torque converter clutch or what have you set up you know shock setup is all there fuel system is all there for everybody you know back when we were doing it it was kind of like a, a unknown art you know you could one out of five you go down the track we were fortunate no one to you know make a i think 98 runs out of 100 you know that's amazing clean, clean runs yeah back then so we had a great car back in its time you know we i think we 611 was the best time we went with the old corvette you know you know, built locally here from Torelli. So yeah, and that's uh, and that's one of the neat things too is that um, you know you come from an area of the country that is just has had so much talent in in the world of door slammer drag racing. You know, Jim Otti, Freddie Hahn racing together. Stewicki's up there. Obviously, yep. uh, the Salemis are up there. How much did that help? I mean, coming up in an area where there is so much hardcore competition has to make you a better racer, right? Well, well, I think that's it too because it was always a competition between us, Otti and Salemis. You know, Stewicki, and uh, I mean, you go to a national event. Not only did you want to beat every guy out there, but your your local guys were the the guys that you know. I mean, kept us going, and you you wanted a Freddie Hahn. We were great competitor with Freddie, and good friends on the side. You know, just uh, on the track, uh, you know. Look out, Fred. I mean, we both of us both of us should have crashed it, you know, hundred times. You know, <laughs> yeah, they didn't call him yeah. fearless Fred for nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, right for sure. Yeah, you know, we had uh, some really close calls, both of us, but uh, it all worked out. You know, as a as a guy who has won championships uh, both on the IHRA side of Pro Modified, when it was, in my opinion, at that time, it was the premier class that IHRA had to offer. Then on the NHRA yep. side with the E3 series, you had a couple of, of of near misses of the championship, and you got one locked down. When you look back over those seasons, you look back over those years. I mean, what do you remember most about about those championship seasons? Well, back in the, I mean, in one was a just a great year. I mean, we just had. You know, to the semifinals, I think every race, and then oh uh, two and three, that that long haul to Edmonton was hard to do, so we skipped it uh, a couple of years, and it basically cost us the championship just by not going. So uh, we we start, we always try to now start off good. I mean, run hard right from yeah. the beginning, you know, uh, and then if something happens, you got a little bit cushion in the middle of the year, but. Uh, we learned a lot, you know. Tom Anderson was with us back in '01 and uh, basically taught us how to race strong and hard, and you know, on the you know, don't put up with nothing, you know. Yeah, so, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if you remember Tom or not. Oh, I he, do, man. Tom he, was he a was character. Rough. Yeah, he was. He was rough. Yeah, yeah but uh, learned a lot from him. Yeah. Well, any guy that could spend that much time with Al Hoffman, you know, he was a special <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You, you yeah, know, let's. Good. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, obviously the, the doctor says, hey, man, you know, enough's enough as far as the driving goes. Uh, how long did it kind of 
was it even a consideration that okay we're gonna we're gonna keep racing was it even a consideration to to stop at that point or was this like no we're gonna we're gonna keep going but we're gonna find a new way to do it well i mean right off the bat he talked to my wife first in the operating room <laughs> she was the first one so that put an end to it that was it there's no even even sugarcoating it at that point so uh yeah it, it was a uh, pretty quick quick decision you know i mean i we talked about it and the first thing i know i see it on facebook that he's looking for juniors looking for a driver already you know so, <laughs> i mean i read it on facebook you know it was it, was, it wasn't like someone you know, you know i there happened was, to look at it i'm like what is this are you kidding me already there was no family <laughs> meeting it was just yeah, happening no. oh yeah yeah you're out of here <laughs> but, uh, it's okay I, I mean it hit me a little bit jr was here on uh, friday and saturday and you know we got the car wrapped and uh it was all right, and then I see his name on the door. Well, it's it's you know, yeah, a little hard to, to look at, but I'm okay. It's all right. It'll it, be it's it's going to be a good uh, connection. It I, really is. I think it is, and I really want to yeah. talk about that because I'm guessing he wasn't the only one that picked up the phone. I'm guessing there was some no. decisions to be made. And yeah. Um, yeah. what was it that struck you about Jr.? What was it that uh, that kind of you said, okay, this guy's the right fit? Well, Junior talked to him mostly. I, I didn't really meet him until he got here. But uh, Mike just liked the way he came off, and and basically he knew about him and checked him out before, you know, beforehand, you know, his driving career and what he did. And I mean, if he can go three fifties in the in a nitrous car with, with the radial tires, uh, he's he's okay. Yeah. It'll be a smooth ride for him on this thing. You it, know? it was fun to have him on the show a few weeks ago because uh, he has been so accomplished in, in grudge racing and in small tire style racing. And, and he's looking at this as a great challenge. And I feel like that's a yep. that's the, to me, it's the right way to look at it because you've seen guys, I've seen guys come into any class in, in pro level drag racing with these expectations that they're just going to roll in and walk on top of everybody. And, and JR is obviously confident, but he is looking at this, in my opinion, the right way. No, spending the afternoon going through things in the car on Saturday, he, uh, you know, he he is definitely paying attention and and doesn't he isn't going to overdo it right off the bat. You know, he just he's going to take his time getting used to it. And after, like I say, after driving the nitrous car, I think they're a little bit more violent than this is leaving the line, uh, as far as you know when it has to be shifted and so on. But uh, he's going to he's going to be fine. It really is. I asked him, um, you know, I asked him the same question I've talked to some other guys about, especially uh, specifically like Lyle Barnett about, you know, uh, he hasn't actually made a full pole in one of these cars yet, but everyone I've ever talked to, like Barnett, uh, Bo Butner, when he got his license to go quarter mile and even even Stevie Fast, they talk about the last 600 feet of the racetrack the first couple times being like the ride of your life. And uh, I guess as a guy who's now going to be kind of coaching JR, what are the type of, of things you talk to him about to get him ready for that sensation? Well, the biggest thing is the at the end being ready for the parachutes. Yeah, I mean it's like you can't just lay back. You pull the chutes and everything's going to be great. I mean, to me, I always thought that that was almost worse than leaving the line because you don't know, you know, if you're going to get to hit the bump and get pulled sideways uh, so many times. So I mean, I kind of stress that a little bit. You know, uh, you know, just be careful with the chutes. And Orlando's going to be like our first race, so that's a little bit the rough you know on the on the shutdown yep. there and, and a little bit short so we got to pay attention and uh, he's going to walk into it and he's okay with that he's not trying to say hey i'm going to go out there and you know kick ass right away you know we're going to you know he's going to walk into it and you know take his take his time and give him every tip that i can think of you know you know through the years so it's and it's funny too and when, when i think on, on its face, people look at, they think, well, J.R. Gray and the Janices, you know, they're from two different parts of the country. Like, what could they possibly have in common? But you've done so much quick eight racing in your life back in the day in cars that had way too much motor for not enough chassis on tracks that probably you had no business being on. He's done almost yeah, yeah. the same thing on the on the eighth mile small tire side. So I feel like there's a I feel like there's a connection in there that that you can both speak to where, you know, you've been to these cow pasture racetracks before and, and you can talk to that about as far as being prepared and understanding what needs to happen in order to do this the right way yeah i just think he, he he knows already about you know the car getting loose mid-track and not letting it get away from you you know like on racing on these the local tracks were like you say over horsepowered for the track i mean we were kind of used to that narrow tracks so i mean it's uh you knew when when you were past center you know at least i did most of the time yeah. except for once i came once at gainesville but uh <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> it quite literally happens to the best of them, man. We've seen everybody. Yeah. We've seen everybody have their uh, have their hands full at one time or another yeah, in this category. Sure. That's for, sure. Yeah, for um, sure. When you look at when you look at the season coming up here for 2021 in the E3 Spark Plugs Pro Mod class, um, you look at your blower combination. You look out at the nitrous cars, the turbo cars, the centrifugal cars. How do you feel in your racer mind? Where you? How do you feel like you guys are stacking up? Uh, I think really, really good. We we made some headway on the blower over the winter here, and uh, we get the car to three thirty, like we should, like we used to have it. We've got the power now to run the other end. I mean, uh, more than ever, you know, at Vegas we had some good laps, you know, to the eighth mile, yeah. mile an hour, and and so on. But uh, struggling a little bit to the three thirty, and uh, uh, you know, we've got the. Good, good bunch of people on board you know with the the shocks uh you know uh, lamberts both of both of those guys are involved in the car now so uh i think we'll be we'll be fine i'm really looking for a killer stout year you know right at right off the bat at orlando no that's great and uh just transitioning to another part of uh of your life and your family's legacy the jansen racing engines business and and mike janice superchargers um it's a pretty amazing thing to think about how long, you know, Jansen's been a, a racing engine builder, a force in that industry for so long. I, I want to talk a little bit about that because it is the definition of a family business. I mean, my understanding is, you know, you walk in there and it's, uh, if you're not named Janice, you're kind of in the minority as far as the employees go. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. We've got a you know few outside employees, you know, but, uh, and everybody here is family. You know, we get along great. Uh, dad started the business back in the, the late fifties and, uh, you know, we basically took it over in the early 70s and just kept moving from here. You know, now it's uh, Junior's turn, and he's got a little guy, a couple little guys coming up that might be interested in it, too. So uh, we're going to keep it going as long as we can. And uh, the blower part of it really took off great for us, you know, tractor pulling and uh, drag racing. So. And how much of an education has that been as far as the tractor puller guys? I had a chance to uh, – about a week ago I was out in uh, in Missouri at a, at a company called Hearts Turbochargers, which is – they're huge in diesel tractor pulling, and they're starting to make some inroads into drag racing. But, to, you know, they're, they're hardcore tractor pullers, and those guys, man, oh, yeah. they take it serious. Yeah. And uh, talk, oh, yeah. talk to me a little bit about, de- like, kind of learning the ropes of tractor pulling and dealing with those guys. Well, the tractor pulling is, is basically – I mean, you, you need to make as much power as you can, but – you need to walk it out. There's no timing control with our, you know, in the blower setup on the minis. There's, you have to walk it out. So that's all part of the tune-up with the blower that we've been learning a lot, you know, not too much, you know, when you, when the guy rolls into the throttle and then at 8,000, it has all the power and boost you can give it. So it's uh, it's a, it's a definitely a learning curve with the, the blower. You know, it's not the same as a pro mod blower, you know, totally. And, and in general terms, have you been able to translate some stuff one to the other? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, definitely a connection between the, the higher overdrive and the, the lower over. I mean, just it's all about lower speed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it definitely, you know, we, we've tested those blowers at a high overdrive on the dyno. Uh, we've learned a, a stuff that came back to us at 14 and a half over, you know. Okay, I got you. So, yeah, and vice versa. But, uh yeah, it's, you never stop learning. Like I said, we uh, made a couple good strides this past winter, so looking forward to it. We really are. And I guess my last question for you is, uh, you know, when we see the car at the racetrack, we watch you guys doing service and everything else, kind of uh, outside of you not getting in the driver's seat, how is your uh, how is your role at the racetrack going to change? I mean, obviously, you've always worked closely with Mikey, and, and you've been involved in every aspect of this thing, and that won't change. But uh, how do you foresee kind of your own weekends changing a little bit at the it, racetrack? It uh, absolutely isn't going to change at all. I'll be doing the, you know, the servicing of the car, you know, just like I always did, or, or other than driving. Yeah. I'll do everything that uh, we did we got the same same guys coming uh we'll have our, the same jobs i mean i'll still be driving the truck there and you know just like we always do it, uh, everything's the same other than driving you know well so. i'll tell you you've um you've always been a guy that i've admired for your ability and certainly for the way you handle yourself the amount of uh, you know just class and dignity you've really defined um what it means to be a professional pro mod racer for for 20 plus years and that's not going to change and obviously you're on the you're on the mechanical end uh concentrated on that now and uh, i'm really excited man i think i think i speak for a lot of pro mod fans i'm really excited to see 
uh, JR get into a car of this caliber and quality because as you well know you can you can be a hell of a driver in this sport especially in pro modified but if you don't really have the equipment you're never going to see it and I feel like this is going to be a really fun marriage to watch yeah yeah we're looking forward to it yeah for sure well, Mike, yeah. enjoy uh, as much as you can. Enjoy the remainder of the Buffalo winter, which I think ends sometime oh, around June. I, and I uh, think it's it's kind of just starting right now, man. We got a foot last night, and another foot coming. Well, that makes it you're late. You can you can sell some snow machines then, right? That's yeah, good for that yeah. side of the business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been good. Yeah, it's been good. Well, Mike, thanks uh, as always okay. for taking. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks Appreciate for taking it. the time, man. And uh, I right. will see you at Gainesville, man. Good luck. All right. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. One of the great drivers, one of the great guys in the history of Promod Drag Racing. Certainly excited to see what he, Mikey Jr., the entire team, and J.R. Gray combined to produce during this 2021 E3 Spark Plugs season. Next guest is going to be a guy who's a legitimate insider in the world of NHRA camping world, Lucas Oil Drag Racing, E3 Spark Plugs Drag Racing, everything to do with NHRA this guy knows about. He is Kevin McKenna of National Dragster. Kevin has just come in from shoveling massive amounts of snow off of his driveway in Indiana. Kevin, thanks for taking some time, man. Uh, I'm good. I got, got my morning exercise in, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to take on the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're invigorated. That's a good thing. Um, the internet is currently invigorated as we make the show because about an hour or two before you and I have connected here, John Force uh, made his official announcement that he's coming back with three cars. I said in the open of the show, it was kind of an open secret, I guess, to some of us on the inside of the sport, but obviously to those people outside the sport, it wasn't, and they are reacting in mass. Yeah, you, you assume that not everybody n- knew this. Um, I, I think it would probably have been uh, maybe easy to guess, but uh, but it's nice to have the official uh, confirmation that uh, you know John will be back. Uh, obviously, we wish it was four cars. Hopefully, it will be again sometime soon. But um, but uh, obviously, it, it's it's a positive thing for the sport, and I think it's great for car counts and. Um, so so far so good yeah and just having his presence back obviously is a is a huge thing for so many fans and you know as much as we want stuff to be you know quote unquote normal again um there is still an element of this sport that doesn't quite feel normal when there isn't a john force racing himself or a john force racing car at the track so it brings us one step closer to that too it it, it does and i think if you look at it on the positive side you know we had some very good very memorable events last year in spite of all the challenges we had uh, you know, U.S. Nationals went on as scheduled. We had Gainesville. And you think of how much better those events might have been if you'd had the force cars. And, uh, you know, there's a few others. You know, obviously we missed Mike Salinas. There's a few other guys that I hope return, uh, you know, Scott Palmer, for example. Yeah, he's so, gearing up, man. Looking at his social media, it certainly appears as though he's loading the wagon again, which is a great thing. Yeah, so um, to, to look at this uh, in a very positive light, I think we might be uh, – you know, I think a, a lot of people are really champing at the bit to be back out there. Um, so so we, we could be on tap for a pretty solid year here. I agree. Uh, I agree. And as we mentioned a million times now, Gator National is getting closer by the minute. Uh, one of the big stories that I know you've been following because of the work you do in the pro stock motorcycle category, obviously the Angel News is great. Uh, obviously the, the Joey Gladstone, Corey Reed program is great. And now there seems to be this new wrinkle where – um, the Vance and Hines engine, formerly the Harley-Davidson engine, now the V&H 160 or the VH160 has been approved for consumer sales, if you will. Are those guys, and I'm speaking about Glad and Reed, or Gladstone and Reed, are they going to get on those bikes or the Suzukis? Because I'm hearing now different things from different people. Well, uh, the, the latest data that I have from them, from the team, uh, Vance and Hines, is that they are building two Suzukis for Joey Gladstone okay. and Corey Reed, but that's not to say that, um, uh, you know, my understanding as of a week or so is they're waiting on bodies. So if there was some kind of a, a, a holdup there, uh, I suppose it's conceivable that, that they could put them on the V-twin bikes <coughs> or, you know, you've now got more options. So if the V-twin proves to be a more competitive package, uh, then obviously that, that would be an option too for, you know, for a team that has the resources to, to go back and forth. So I'm not, I've kind of heard some of the same rumblings you have, although the last story we did on NHRA.com 
had them formally committed to a Suzuki team, but but I wouldn't swear that uh, that hasn't changed. Yeah, and that and that goes for me as well. We had him on the podcast a few weeks ago, and, and Joey Gladstone. It was all Suzuki all the time. So um, as we know, if you have the resources to do something, a lot of times in this sport, people will do it. So it'll be fun to uh, kind of watch that. I think again on, on the positive side, we look at a guy like Dave Barron, who's now you know basically made the step into being a team owner, which I think is cool too. For for sure. Um, you know, you, you went from a period last year of uh, kind of, I don't want to say being concerned about the bike class, but the, the numbers were down a little, and then yeah. you got the announcement uh, about Harley-Davidson being oh, yeah. gone, and, you know, you had the potential of Angel, you know, not just being barred, but honestly, the potential of her career being over, and within a span of about 30 to 45 days, uh, obviously, that, that has changed. You had announcements, people like David Barron coming in, uh, a second bike for Ryan Oler. Um, there's some other good news, and, and I just suspect that you'll see some more good news involving the Vance and Hines team in the somewhat near future. Just kind of kind of the, the vibe <laughs> I get from there, if, if you will. Yeah. Well, that's, it's good. And, you know, uh, you and I talk about stuff like this a lot away from, you know, this particular show, but it's like I don't understand how so many people that, you know, proclaim to love drag racing uh, completely underestimate or undersell the scrappiness of this sport. I just don't get it. I mean, we look at a year last year that was filled with, I mean, some real body blows in terms of bad news, right? And we weathered that storm as best we possibly could, ended a a successful season on a high note. You have some obviously troubling news of the Vance and Hines thing after that period. That gets turned around. And now we're hearing about guys like Josh Hart, obviously looking at guys like Scott Palmer, Force coming back in, Selena's coming back in. Like I don't understand why people think at every in any turn we're gonna fold up like a leaf around here. No, and, and I would like to think that you have a number of people who had programs in place at the beginning of twenty twenty, had budget to race, and with everything that happened, those plans got scrapped, yet in a lot of cases that budget is still there. You know, and, and I think if you read the John Force story, that kind of hinted to that, that, you know, he was able to take most or all of his sponsor contracts, roll them into 2021, and, and have a, a nearly fully funded uh, yeah. pr- program. So, uh, you know, I, I hope there's more st- excuse me, more stories like that of people who, uh, you know, who, who are, are locked, loaded, and, and ready to race. And I definitely think that's the case with the Pro Mod class because, you know, you had a lot of guys, you know, we, we were gearing up for probably 30 or more cars at Gainesville, yeah. yep. and, and then that, that plan was scrapped. And, and I think you have a lot of guys there that absolutely want to come out and, and give this a shot. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, people, a lot of people scrambled to make the necessary, uh, you know, equipment updates last year to be available and, and to be ready to go. And again, everything went sideways. And, you know, for the amount of people that were able to stick it out and run a season, there were a lot more people that simply said, okay, it, it, they were being conservative. And I do not blame anybody for any decisions they've made over the last year. They have, everybody's got to do what's best for them. But I think specifically on the pro mod side, you have so many uh, business owners. You had so many kind of uh, company, small business owners in that category that really didn't know what was going to happen over the course of the next six weeks after Gainesville, let alone the next six months. So I think a lot of people mothballed their cars for the year. And yeah, there is pent up. Um, there is, I don't want to say pent up rage, but there is certainly pent up excitement and people just wanting to get at it. And I look at the single car side of things that we're going to see a lot of in 2021. I mentioned Josh Hart already. Um, guys out in the West Coast, we're going to start seeing some, you know, some funny car, single car teams along the Alex Miladinovich line popping their heads out again, and that makes me excited too because I really do feel as though it's 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 an important thing for us as a sport to have a balance as best we can between big teams and single car teams, especially these single car teams that have all the right parts. Well, well, the sport, as you know, is very cyclical where, you know, you, you had a trend over a period of maybe 15, 20 years where, where the mega teams kind of came in. And, and now I think you've seen some guys that can have proven that they can put together a cost-effective program as a single-car team, um, do it for less money, be more efficient uh, with, with both your time, money, and, and other resources. So, uh, and then you've also seen uh, uh, the performance, you know, smaller teams, yeah. Terry McMillan, Clay Milliken, that they're not just out there they're successful yes you can win you can win races zizzo yes you can win races you can contend for championships so i think once people see that that sort of roadmap has been drawn you you can sort of come in and follow it and 
again, that, that's a good thing, uh, especially if we get to the point uh, again where maybe guys who've had success like Josh Hart in, in alcohol racing decide to, to take the leap and, and build fuel cars. Yeah, and I know you know obviously NHRA's been on a on a on the technological side has been doing a lot of stuff to to align chassis and stuff like that. So to make a very clear path forward to somebody who wants to run, uh, eventually wants to run top fuel, you don't have to scrap your entire a fuel operation to do that. You can run the same chassis. They're, they've been working on this stuff for the last couple of seasons to make the the transition from one step to the next more simple. Now Josh didn't do that. He obviously has acquired a, an entire racing operation and Ron Douglas along with it to run the thing. Um, so he's he's doing it. I don't want to say the old-fashioned way, but he's doing it the way that he was able to do it. Um, let's talk a little Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series here because uh, it has officially started with the uh, Division Two event down in Orlando. NHRA.TV now free for everybody to watch these divisional races across the country. I feel like a lot of the same things we're talking about here on the Camping World side apply to the Lucas side. I know there are loads of races, be- racers, I'm related to one of them, that are just dying to get back out to the racetrack. Absolutely, and you know, we, we've seen that. Um, you know, especially you look at areas, uh, you know, Canada, yeah, uh, the division, the Division Six area, even the Northeast, where they got hit a little harder than some other areas of the country as far as races being canceled and postponed. Uh, so I think a lot of those guys are, yes, very much ready to uh, to get the ball rolling and have something that hopefully resembles a normal season this year. And I, I think that that's you know. Wonderful news! You know, we we had a, a pretty good car count uh, in Orlando. It's a shame that we've had to postpone the second race in Division Two at South Georgia this week for yeah. weather-related reasons. But but I still think you, you've got some momentum. Um, obviously, the Baby Gators coming up. You mentioned the the TV broadcast on NHRA TV, and I mean I understand that there's additional resources thrown into that event as far as crew, uh, even possibly announcers and, and things just to, to make that a, a bigger event than it would normally be. And, and, and it's wonderful to see um, th- that sort of attention given to the Lucas Oil Series where, you know, we know, we being NHRA, know that we can elevate that uh, to an even higher standard than it's been. Yeah, you wrote a really neat story in, uh, I believe it was in the last issue of the Dragster. It was basically kind of like people to keep your eyes on and, and people to watch in the Lucas side as far as, uh, you know, talent and, and what people are doing out there. And I guess if you could talk a little bit about that piece and, and some of the names that uh, people should be having their, their their ears open or eyes open to over this year. Well, the the, the, the amazing, kind of the, the funny thing about um, th- that feature was I didn't call a single person. Um, a lot of these people I knew, you know, I could research their things, but some of them, if I wanted background info, I just went to their social media to, uh, to, to check them out and and see, you know, we we did poll a number of people in the industry, uh, division directors, uh, primarily, uh, to say, Hey, who do you see in your division that is potentially a breakout star? (laughs) And, uh, they, they were fortunate, you know, they, they gave us a lot of good feedback, but you know, some of the people, are people that, that have previously had some success. Uh, you know, we have like, you know, Marco Pervolaris out in the, the West Coast. Yes. You know, pe- people that have won national events, but then you also have some kids. Uh, Mike Trumbull's son, Hayden, you know, he, he went and, you know, was in the final, or he won Dallas last year. Um, you know, but this is a 17, 18-year-old kid. Um, Paige Coughlin, the, the latest third-generation yes. Jegs driver. You know, th- th- these are people that I think are going to carry this sport um, for for the next twenty years or more, uh, you know, you want to name another one? Parker Devore finished second in stock. You know, I'll be honest. This was a guy who I don't think I'd ever heard of before <laughs> twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, I mean, not not a, yeah. You know, Division Four guy, but he traveled. He came to Indy, did well at the U.S. Nationals, did well at the Lucas Oil Series race, and really made a, a strong run uh, at the, at the top spot. And then, uh, you know, another one I want to single out is. Tyler Bohannon, again, you know, someone oh, who's yeah. already won national events. But if you look at his profile, you know, he's into event promoting now, uh, doing very well with it. And, you know, this is still a young, young guy that uh, probably has a very high ceiling as far as what he can accomplish in this sport. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, to, to kind of tie a couple of points together here, I think with the, uh, the emergence of 
how you can now go racing at a pro level. And that's not to say all these kids even have designs to go pro racing. A lot of these kids are going to be sportsman racers for their whole lives, and that's what they want to do, and that's what they should do. But for those that have a desire to go to the professional camping world level ranks, there is now, more so than there has been in a decade plus, a path to do that that is pretty well defined. And in, and if you want to go race pro stock, you can you can find a reasonable amount of funding and you can call up an elite motorsports. You can call up a KB racing. You can make phone calls and you can likely find yourself a seat. Even if it's for five or six races a year, it's not gonna it's not gonna send you to, to debtor's prison to do it. You want to ride a pro stock motorcycle. You mentioned the fact that Ryan Ayler's fielding multiple bikes now. Obviously Vance and Hines is a is a resource that's become wide open because of uh, their independence now. We can go right down the line. Matt Smith Racing fields multiple bikes. You want to go race a fuel car? Uh, we have seen now multiple different ways to go do that as you graduate through the ranks. And I do feel like there was a period of time where those doors were shut for a lot of people in terms of their ability to see a way forward. And now there are multiple pathways to get to any of those things. Oh, absolutely. One of the programs you didn't even mention that I'm very impressed and intrigued by are the number of quality top alcohol dragster rides yeah. that, are for, that are for lease. Uh, I mean, th- these aren't just, I mean, honestly, th- these are probably five of the top 10 cars in the class that can be had for, uh, you know, what, what we would call a, a reasonable amount of money as far as, you know, a, a semi-professional class. And, you know, so if, if you're someone that has a little bit of a marketing background or, hey, if you happen to be, you know, personally wealthy, you can step into one of those cars. And, and a lot of these are show up with a license, a helmet and a fire suit, and you're ready to go out there and contend for wins and championships. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's an absolute fact. I mean, we've seen Randy Myers' uh, execution of his program has been, I mean, probably successful beyond even his own his own uh, estimations of what it could be. And, and some of the talent that's come through there, obviously, Megan, Justin, Ashley, we could make a long list. Uh, Julie's doing a great job driving her side of it. We're going to see a lot more of, uh, of Megan Myers' uh, sister this year. Of course, she's going to be the primary driver on the team. So, uh, Rachel, and that's going to be a really fun thing to watch. Um you know, one of the one of the things I'm interested to see in pro stock this year is, uh, of course, Kyle Koretsky, Right? We talk about these young kids, and he'll be a a sophomore this year. Had his freshman season last year. Made it to a final in Vegas. Didn't work out for him against Erica. But they've uh, they've come in with this Lucas Oil sponsorship. They've increased their presence with KB Racing. My understanding is he'll basically be driving the car Jason Line was driving. And that kid's that kid's as dangerous as anybody on the starting line, and seems to uh, kind of drive beyond his years. He did a really nice job last year. One of the real uh, shames of, of losing so many races last year is you didn't get an accurate look at what someone like a Kyle Koretsky could do. Because I am pretty confident that had he run anywhere from twenty to twenty-four races, you would have seen him win a race or two, would almost certainly have finished top ten, and. Uh, you probably the, the development that you saw from him from his debut in uh, July to the end of the year. Uh, I think if if you were to uh, take that on a full season, uh, I think you'd really be impressed with uh, the package that comes out of that. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And um, you know, was... and, and then that same, and and, and actually, the, the same goes for some of the other young kids like Mason McGahey. You know, he yeah. made big strides. You know, he uh, honestly could easily have gone to the final in Indy. Um, and you know, I, I think uh, obviously we, you know what you're getting in Troy Coughlin Jr. You know that that he's it's a proven commodity. Wanna, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't want to put pressure on him, but but that is a kid that has been ticketed for stardom since he was about 19 years old. Yeah, yeah. And he has uh, he's basically delivered a, just about every single thing he's ever driven. And you know, as much as he has driven everything from top fuel to a fuel dragsters. I personally have always seen him as the door slammer guy, just like his uncle has been. Um, I feel like. You know whether, and he's a really modest guy that would never come out and say any of this publicly. But in my own estimation, my own opinion, Pro Stock is kind of where he always wanted to be, and now he's got a perfect spot to be in. Sure, and hey, the the, the guy won a full season in a Pro Bod car and didn't scratch the paint. Right. <laughs> how, how many how many people can say that uh, that they, they do that? Um, yeah, he, he clearly has some talent. Um, he has the, the motivation to to be. Uh, you know, he, all he needs to do is look at his father and his uncle to see their success and, and know where, you know, that's his eyes on the prize and he knows where he wants to be. 
yeah, if we come come full circle with this conversation, I think one of the things that's going to be most fascinating, one of the things that I'm going to talk to John about when we do uh, our, uh, we're going to be doing some social media live stuff later on today as we're making this this podcast. But um, the rebound of a 70 plus year old guy out of the seat of a nitro funny car for a year will not be instantaneous. I don't care who you are. And John Force is obviously the the most decorated nitro funny car driver in the history of the the existence of the class. But there is going to be a curve for that guy to get back up to speed at seventy plus years old. I don't care what you say. Well, I'm, I'm sure there will be. That that's that's uh, yeah, seems obvious. But uh, you know, Phil Burgess just posted an interview that he did with John that actually answers uh, some more of the questions regarding the future of the team, and, and he touched on that. Um, the, the interview is on NHRA.com, by the way. But he, he touched on that uh, on John took the time off to really, really get more serious about nutrition and physical fitness. And I, I get the feeling he feels like he's good to go for, for another couple of years or more, maybe three or four. And I think he knew that in order to race at the level he wants to, that that was what he would need to do, you know, once you get to be 70 plus years old. Yeah, I mean it's that's I I I will literally go read it once we're done here, and and that makes total sense, and and I think it's it's a it, it strikes me as something that has to come from the humility of a person to even admit that, right? Because we know what race car driver egos are. We know um, that's why great race car drivers are great race car drivers because they have a big ego and think that they are indestructible and ten feet tall. So for him to be able to to kind of sit there and say, "Yeah, I I had to do this if I'm going to continue to do this any longer," is uh, that is the older, wiser John Force. It, it is, but you, but you look at John. John, if nothing else, has been driven and motivated to succeed since the day he first got in a race car, yeah. and he, he's proven time and time again that he's willing to, you know, go through a brick wall to make it happen. So, so I think you know whether he came to this conclusion by himself or somebody whispered in his ear, you know, he obviously got the message that John, you know, this is what you need to do going forward if you want to extend your career. And I, I have. You know, we've seen uh, a number of racers still competitive at, at John's. You know, Warren Johnson was competitive yes. well into his late 60s. Um, you know, there, there's Eddie Hill. You know, there's other people. So, so, And I think John's talent level was, was so high in his prime that I don't feel like the drop-off, whatever it may be, has made him really any less competitive. And obviously he still has, you know, arguably one of the strongest teams and crews in the business. Yeah. So, um so yeah, I, I don't think that you know. Don't take him lightly. Would be the message that oh, comes that's out of fact. this. <laughs> one last uh, one last topic I'd love to touch on because you brought up the subject of teams and crews. Um, Cruz Pedregon racing the Snap On car. Um, you know, is there any way this doesn't work? You, you, you wouldn't think so. And here's the thing: I, I know Cruz gets uh, a lot of grief over some things, and I, and I sometimes it's deserved, sometimes not, but. I've noticed a pattern with Cruz over the past few years. Uh, for example, about three years ago uh, in September, he was out of the countdown, had had a horrible year, and he showed up here at Indy to test for two and a half days. And I'm sure that cost a lot of money. And, and I even asked him, why are you doing this? You know, you, you have no hope of winning the championship. You're, you're not even in the top 10. And he looked at me and said, I need to fix my problems. You know, I'm not doing this just to entertain myself. You know, I'm, so, so, so he, you know, here's another guy who, a, a lot like Force, is is motivated to be the best he can be, and I, I think you look at almost any team. I think a lot of it is, you know, they're all results oriented. You know, when when you're winning races, life is great, everybody's getting along, and, and I really think if you see that with Cruz, if they come out and have some success in the first half of the year, um, that that tends to feed on itself, and you know, I think he, he may well have something very special here. Yeah, and listen, uh, we're you know it's twenty nine years, not quite thirty, but we're you know we're almost thirty years removed from that incredible season of ninety two, where it was you know those two guys down to the wire with John literally running his car under the wall multiple times in Texas, trying to beat trying to beat Cruz in that uh, iconic run. So, how fitting would it be to see those two guys back up? And and you know I'm not just saying this because I work with Tony. I'm saying this as, as as a fan and someone who's obviously invested in the sport. I really do feel like a successful Cruz Pedragon is is something that we as a, as an organization as a sport need to have and would benefit from. Oh sure, I'd love to see him come back 
not just success as far as winning rounds, but I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of that chip on his shoulder too. Yeah. Um, so to, you, you want to rile up the masses, and I think everybody has a, a target to shoot for, which is the fact that the Schumacher cars won every race last year, yeah. and you know I'm willing to pretty much take all the action you want to give me that that does not happen this year. <laughs> Okay, so I, w- I would never you take my that page, bet. You have my PayPal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely never take that bet. But are they able to win the first two or three in a row as everybody else is getting themselves situated, as Force is coming back, as Cruz has this new crew, um, as changes have been made across other teams? Are they able to, get, to at least continue the streak beyond the end of last season? Uh, th- that certainly would be reasonable. You know, you look at what, what you've got in, in Matt Hagen's team specifically, yeah. a championship-winning car and crew, and, you know, th- there may be a little bit of an adjustment with Ron Caps and his new crew chiefs, but probably not a lot because, you know, I, I think Ron's a, a very malleable driver where yeah. if, if there needs to be changes made, you know, even minute ones to the car or the driving style, um, you know, you, you know what you're getting with John Medlin and, and Guido Antonelli of a very experienced crew. I mean, they've worked together before. So, so th- this is not, you're not reinventing the wheel here. Um, so, so I would expect those, those two cars to be very strong. I will tell you what, there is one person in this world that I do not want to be. And that is the first DSR driver to lose a final to a John Force racing funny car. <laughs> uh, or, 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 or a Tim Wilkerson car or a Bob Tasker car. Absolutely. Or, yeah, no, it's, um, you, yeah, you don't want to be the street buster there. That, uh, <laughs> there. There's probably, I don't know if they have a kangaroo court there, but they're, 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 you, you probably have to put some, some some coins in the jar if that's you. It'll be an inquiry. Well, man, I'm yes. excited. Uh, I'm, I'm genuinely excited to get going with the baby Gators and certainly excited to get going with the uh, with the, the Amelie Oil Gator Nationals. And it's been long enough, uh, obviously, for some reasons or for some parts of me it's been too long for other parts of me it's like this feels like the right thing it feels like we're we're going to start this season with a strong event down in florida and um i'm just excited to get back to it yeah i mean i think they're probably at the beginning of the year still needs to be a little patience you know we're, we're obviously the schedule is still a bit in flux you know we are not through the pandemic as much as some people would like to think otherwise but the finish line's in sight and and, and i think I really think we we will be set up for a very dynamic second half of 2021. It's going to be great, man. Hey, Kevin, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, thanks for being a good civic uh, civic uh, you know member of your town, keeping your driveway clean. <laughs> hey, got to do what you can. Uh, at some point, we may need to go to the store, so so there was entirely a selfish uh, decision, but but uh, happy to do my part. You bet, Kevin McKenna from National Dragster. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. There you have it. End of another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, a fun one that we really kind of rocked and rolled our way around the sport. Mike Janis, one of the great pro mod racers of all time, retiring from the seat, but he will be a big presence still at the racetrack with his race team and J.R. Gray in the driver's seat that he once occupied. And Kevin McKenna giving us a lowdown on the inside on so many different classes and categories in the sport of NHRA drag racing, most if not all of which will be showcased at the Emily Oil Gator Nationals coming up in the second weekend of March. You can watch that race on FS1 for Saturday live qualifying and then Sunday there'll be a qualifying show on FS1 and our race day will be live on the Fox Broadcast Network. The same channel you watch The Simpsons on, the same channel you watch NFL Football on will be on there during the weekend of March 13th or 12th, 13th, right around that neighborhood 14th. Check your local listings, check your calendar, and go to NHRA.com to stay on top of the breaking news that John Force Racing is back for the 2021 Camping World Drag Racing season. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Loans, and I will be back next week with another show.